Thank you for lifting. Great, great job. How do you follow all of that? You just get up and do your best, I guess. Thank you, children. And for uh, Debbie and all those that worked on that. Great. I want to share a few things from um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you'll turn there. So uh, last week, I'm not going to go through all that associated with uh, Christmas, but I put Christmas is a celebration of grace and kind of went through a review of the word grace and gifts and giving. People are doing their Christmas shopping. People ask, I've heard numerous people say, are you finished with Christmas shopping? And that's the way it goes today, right? I think Amazon is taken away from some of the business at Walmart because it's a lot easier to just order stuff, isn't it? But we associate gifts with Christmas. Salvation is the gift of God. I want to put a slide up here right at the start because it's all a part of uh, this start of this verse in 2 Corinthians 8. This is the area that... uh, we're going to be, as mentioned in these two chapters, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, this is um, Achaia and um, Macedonia. All of this is Greece, that, that little strip of land that, that just kind of makes a horseshoe there around Philippi, Troas. Well, up, up near the top of that is where Turkey starts. And, uh, but all of this little loop here where Macedonia, that's actually modern-day Greece. And so Paul is giving this description about contributions and giving. And last week we talked about God giving his son to us, but what about this whole thing about us giving gifts? We give gifts at Christmas. We let people know how much we love them. Um, Let me just start off from the very first verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Um, He says, Now, brothers, we wait we uh, want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And when he's saying that, he's talking about Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea that he evangelized. So that's the churches he's talking about when he says that God has given grace to the churches of uh, Macedonia. And he's trying to make a point here, and he says, out of severe trial, um, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. Now, those two things don't seem to go together, do they? Uh, Extreme poverty, that it moves into this spirit of generosity. If if you don't have anything to give, how can you be generous? Uh, We got stuck in New York City uh, years ago when I was coming back from Israel, the second trip that I made around 1992, and a snowstorm greeted us when we got to the Kennedy uh, airport, and we were just praying for our bags to get through customs so we could get on our flight to uh, New Orleans, where we flew out of. And uh, then we started hearing uh, Kennedy is shutting down, Dulles is shutting down, Newark is shutting down, and here we are stuck in New York City, and I only carried enough cash with me to buy some trinkets, okay? So I didn't have a whole lot of cash. We're having to find our own hotel in New York City for three days. Snow is this deep on the sidewalks. 
and we're just trying to make do. I did have a credit card, and for that day, I was very thankful. But a guy walked up to me and says, Hey, buddy, you got any money to spare for some coffee? I looked at him. I says, I tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. We'll both empty our pockets, and whoever has the most, the other person gets all of it. And he looked at me, and he thought about it. He says, no, nah, it's all right. Just forget it. <laughs> I was like, I should be asking you, pal, for a cup of coffee. You don't think about extreme poverty and generosity. But not only that, this is, he says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Think about that. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Now, stop right there. And if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, he's talking about the people in Jerusalem, the believers in Jerusalem, who are now in abject poverty. You know, the, the, the church in Jerusalem did not have a lot of support. It was a tough place to be a believer. There was pressures on them. When, when they became believers, they lost their jobs if they worked for someone. If they were self-employed, nobody would do business with them. So they, they were kind of on their own. And, and Paul was going around to this area, which was a little bit more financially blessed, and asking believers to, to give them funds so that the people in Jerusalem can survive, the Christians in Jerusalem can survive. So he says, the people up here in Macedonia, they were in terrible shape. But they gave what they had, but beyond what they had. That's kind of hard to to see what that would have looked like. He says, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves. Here's something you ought to underline. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's wills. In other words, they committed themselves to the Lord, but then they helped us. So we urged Titus. Um, he was the one going around collecting the funds to take to Jerusalem, and he was part of a team since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace. Isn't it interesting that a fundraising was called an act of grace on their part? Just as you excelled in everything. Now, he's talking to the church down in Corinth about the people up there. Now, he's starting to talk to the people in Corinth. Just as you, Corinth, excelled in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness in your love for us. See that you also, see that you also match their grace, match their willingness to give. That's up in Macedonia. He said, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Is he really comparing the two areas, the two places where they knew about each other, but they weren't really close. It was about 400 or so miles apart from each other. But listen to what he does next. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if we're going to compare ourselves to somebody, let's start with him. As though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And we're not talking about dollars and cents here, right? In a way, we are talking about the whole condition Brother Davis was talking about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, just like it was demonstrated up here in a stable, in a place where animals were housed for the night. And it was a feeding trough, a manger that that Mary laid her newborn baby. 
you know, I guess Joseph was the midwife, you might say. He, he helped deliver his own son, her son, the son of God. And he was a carpenter, but he was born in abject poverty. He was not born into a family of affluence. So he was raised in meager amounts of support and income to identify with people who are that way. And he says, now listen, Jesus, the Son of God, had everything that he wanted in heaven, but he left heaven, came in the form of a baby, associated with poverty. Through his poverty, through him giving up everything of of importance to himself, he said he wanted to make you rich. In verse 10, he says, now this is my advice about what's best for you in this matter of giving to this need, giving to this fund. Last year, you were the first only, not only to give, but also to desire to do so. He says, last year, you know, I could count on you people. He says, now finish what you started. Finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Watch verse 12. For it is the willingness, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. Watch what he completes this. Not according to what one does not have. God doesn't ask us for things that we don't have. But he's asking us about what we do have. What do we have? If you could give someone a gift that's not material, that's not something you can wrap, what would you give people? What can you give as a Christmas gift this year that's not anything you can wrap in paper or put in an envelope or hand to them? Love. What way? Time. Presence. Not presence as give you being there. Because I, the older I get, I understand what my dad was saying when we asked, you know, what do you want for Christmas? We just want you kids to be here. Mother, well, you don't want anything? No, no. We just, our joy is having you come to our house. Now, as I was younger, I thought, well, that's odd. Certainly you want, like, so we knew, we knew what to give him, and that's gift cards to Ryan's <laughs> buffet. <laughs> they wore Ryan's out. So we still gave him gift. But I, the older I get, the more I realize what he was saying. It's not stuff under the tree. It's stuff in your heart. That's the best that you can give. And this is what Paul is telling these people. He says, in your heart, there's a willingness. You, you desire to give. says, follow through with that. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. He says, we're not passing on this responsibility to you and giving other people like we're not going to ask them to help. But that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will be supplied what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then everything will be equal. In other words, he says, if you bless people, you give whatever you give to them, you've deposited something into their care that they can in turn and give to someone else. I dare say, if people around us receive verbal blessings, more than likely you will start thinking about blessing other people yourself. Right? Somebody speaks these encouraging words, 
over you and you want to give that encouraging word. Now, there's so much richness in this. I, I want to drop down to chapter 9 because all of this has to do about being generous at Christmas. And he mentions these two areas, right? Oh, we lose it. He mentions these two areas in chapter 9 as well. He says, there's no need for me to write to you about this fundraising we do. And that's what it means, service to the saints. The need in Jerusalem for the poor believers there that are barely living out in such poverty. He said, I know your eagerness to help and have been, I've been bragging. <laughs> I mean, this, is, this chapter 9 is an interesting chapter because I read it and it's kind of like, is he really doing this? He's telling the people in Corinth, he says, I've been really bragging about you guys to these churches up here about your willingness to give and that we're expecting a really good offering from you. We are. He says, and I know your weakness. I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you down here in Achaia, you down here are ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. They've heard about you and your willingness to give, and now they're all stirred up. We're going to get a pretty good offering from them because they heard about you giving, your generosity. But he says this, But I am sending the brothers in order that are boasting about you in this manner should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you are unprepared to give, we, not, not to say anything about you, but we would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance. <laughs> is this really in the Bible? You know, these are real people. He says, you know, just to be on the safe side, we're going to stand and we're going to see what you got ready for us and finish the arrangement for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly gives, but just out of the willingness of the heart. I'm going to drop down to verse 12. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. I don't know if you saw this story. It was a philanthropic man in a city, several thousands of dollars, up into thousands of dollars. He got these $100 bills and took it to the police department. Did you see that story? And the policeman that week before Christmas would pull people over and give them a $100 bill. Well, you know how people are when they're getting pulled over. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's a safe thing to do anymore. You know, I got pulled over in Hargrove Road one time. The lights came on, and I'm looking at my speedometer, and I says, I'm not speeding. And I'm like, I'm beginning, I'm beginning to already defend myself when I roll the window down. You know, I'm, I'm not saying, what am I, why are you pulling me over? And as he got up closer, I realized it was Mickey Pate. And he's just a laughing. And, and I said, uh, you couldn't have pulled me over somewhere like 
where people can't see me pulled over. He says, no, I thought I'd just mess with you today. I should have said, where's the $100 bill? <laughs> but you ought to see the expression on these people, some, uh, a, a lady with a small child, and, and she said, what am I doing? She's almost in tears thinking she's got a, a fine that she's going to have to pay. She says, ma'am, somebody just wanted to bless you this Christmas. Merry Christmas. And tears began to pour down her face, and she couldn't hardly get the words out the need that she was facing that Christmas and somebody, a total stranger, was the source of joy. Now, he, he, I want you to see, this applies to this. When we bless people in the name of Jesus and it meets a great need, what do you think their first reaction is? It'll say something like this, Thank you, Lord. You think about this. How valuable is something that turns in to praise to God? That you provoked praise to God that wouldn't have been done without that. That you added this chorus of praise. I think Christmas ought to not be the best time for families and I love this time of the year. I love Christmas. This Christmas will be the eighth year that we haven't had my dad for Christmas. And I miss him. I miss those days. But when people who are lonely get a phone call, when people who are in distress get a word of hope, a word of encouragement, something you say, some, an act that you do, something that you give to them, and it causes them to think about the goodness of God, what value can you put on that? I want to take you back to something where it says in verse 5, Brenda's going to come to the keyboard, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5, and this is how Christmas is practiced the way it should be. Before you think about anybody else, you need to think about the Lord. It says they gave themselves first to God and then they gave of themselves to what God was doing. It's almost like the words that Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. He says you, you're concerned about what you're going to eat. You're concerned about how you're going to be clothed. You're concerned about your basic needs. He said, but listen. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the things that you're concerned about is going to be taken care of. We get anxious about what we don't have. We get anxious about the challenges we face. We get worried about maybe health issues that we're looking at or people in our families got health issues. I thought about the song that Thomas was playing. I thought about our son being on a submarine away from his wife and three children for Christmas. He would love to be able to sing that song. I thought about it. If we first give ourselves to God, then everything else will fall into place. Maybe, maybe some of us in this room got ourselves spread out so thin, we don't even know what we've given ourselves to first. But if you'll just back up a little bit, 
and say, Lord, I need to give myself to you first. Things about your family, things about your own personal life are not in the place that you want them to be. But this morning, if you will say to the Lord, Lord, I I give you myself first. And I trust that you will enable all the other things to fall into place. Would you stand with me? Lord, we we want this to be a great Christmas. Just 12 days away. And while we still have things, maybe in the next 12 days we're a little anxious about today, I ask you to help us all to just put the brakes on our thoughts and think about that we need to give ourselves to you first. We need to fully surrender ourselves to you. And when we do that, everything about us suddenly belongs to you. And whatever out of our lives we give to others, suddenly it's not about us, it's about you. We're giving away that that we've committed to you. Whether it's a word of encouragement, an unexpected blessing to a total stranger. Would you direct us, Lord, in these next 12 days to bless someone that could never recompense it back to us. Maybe never even know that we were the source of that. So that you receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. You can still work miracles in the lives of families. You can still heal the brokenness of homes of men and women, young people. You can take us in our, when we're in bitter tears and untold sorrow of our loss and you can bring healing to us, Lord. I pray for those here today that need you, Lord. They, they can't get from men what they need you to give them. Only you can dive into the recesses of our soul and our heart and heal us and give us hope and give us peace. If you've got a burden today on your life, on your family, or on someone close to you, They need a miracle. They need God to do something mighty. Or you need God to do something mighty in your life. We're going to believe for miracles this morning when we pray in just a moment. But I want you to bring it to the front and just stand here and say, God, here's here's this thing that looks so impossible to me, but it's not impossible to you. Help me. Help us. Help, Help us, Lord.